Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Sabres Live is presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Happy Friday, everyone. It's August 4th, and it is a great news day, surprisingly, in the NHL. There's actually a lot going on, and the smiling face of Jordan LaBarber from Sabres.com has joined us to fill the immense shoes of Martin Brodeur. Martin Brodeur. Marty Baron on this day. And uh, (laughs) I will say this. Um... Do we know what size feet Marty has? Is he like a 12 or 13? Because the running joke is always like, geez, you're much taller than you appear on television. And I've never asked him. Not literally, but the uh, metaphorical shoes are immense. Yeah, they they are immense. And, you know, um, it's it's funny because thinking of Marty and all the the behind-the-scenes shenanigans, like, you have literally become probably in my assumption one of the most trusted people from a player's standpoint in our organization to be this conduit for content that we see on all our platforms so what is it so speaking of big shoes here jordan like (laughs) what what is that like when you're kind of you're almost always there in the filming and the planning and all of this of uh some and obviously i think people don't have to look long and hard to realize like they've been saber fans have been thoroughly entertained by the content that was <laughs> produced, especially in this past year. Uh, well, one that's high praise. So thank you. And it's not just me. It's a big team of us, but you're only as good as the, as the players you're working with. And I don't know if they have a lot of, we've given them a lot of choice. They kind of just come off the ice for practice and we just say, Hey, want to react to memes for the next 10 minutes and they go okay fine and they're they're great sports we're lucky to have a young team who's who's grown up with the in in the content uh realm so to speak and uh a lot of good sense of humor too so it's it's a lot of fun can you give us the real behind the scenes as to how jeff skinner became what he became (laughs) this year which is producer, director, writer, yeah. actor, creator. Yeah, I can't. So I Jeff's told the story before. He we hadn't gone undercover at our fan fest last year, which is coming back in, in September. Um, and we we put together this ridiculous outfit for him. We dressed him up as a reporter from Memphis because we had a Memphis news polo lying around. And um he threw on some aviators and a angel's hat and everybody knew it was him which was kind of the gag like the idea is obviously this is jeff skinner and it's fun for for the fans and it's he's a funny guy so but he had it in his mind that we were going to do this like intense aesthetic hollywood caliber disguise and he was going to actually which didn't happen so he's like well you know maybe there'll be another opportunity to do something else fun and he mentioned between two ferns with zach galifianakis 
And time passed. And we brought the idea back up a few months into the season and said, you know, we got we got to do this. Like, if he wants to do this, we got to do it. And we asked him and he was kind of through our, uh, our PR person kind of was like, you know, maybe I'll do it. I, I'm not sure we're in the season now. And three days later, he had typed up a script, which is the first time I've ever encountered that. We're going to, you know, normally we, we put, give the players things. Uh, and he had a script all typed out, ready to go. And he continued to do that for the remaining five episodes. So that's kind of how it came to be. Given that you knew and or witnessed a lot of the production, Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know if how that impacted your natural reaction when you would see it after it was posted live for the first time. Yeah, you're definitely like you're definitely waiting for certain moments and see how they are responded to. Like one of my favorites is we had Ilya Labushkin dress up as Matthew McConaughey uh, and like make a little cameo, which is just so random. And so you're, you're like, okay, are people going to think this is funny? Or are they going to be like, what the heck is that? And normally it's a blend of both. Um, so yeah, you're you're looking for those. But also when you're filming it, you're doing it so like piecemeal and there's a lot of takes and cuts. And so it's not as funny in the moment sometimes as it is uh, after our editors get their hands on it. And they're the ones who make the magic, really. Well, I think that's exactly what I'm digging at here is like how what caused you to laugh out loud the most out of any of these episodes, even though you knew it was recorded in there and it might see the light of day when you saw something uh, presented, like, what did you like? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm genuinely telling you, Jordan, that every episode, it got to a point where I simply spontaneously bursted out laughing, completely shocked at what I was seeing and how it unfolded. Two things. Uh, one is like in general, like Jeff's uh, ability to like react on the fly in like a really understated way that's just really funny um, happened all the time. Uh, like there's one where Alex Tuck is clearly in a Halloween costume and Alex goes, oh, that's a Jeff's implying that it's a suit award of the game. It's actually Halloween. Jeff's just like, Oh, that is Halloween, but it's such a funny tone. And the other is anytime we got our team services person, Cole, involved, uh, we had him dump water on his head. Uh, we had him just inch up next to Rasmus Dahlien. So when the camera pans out, Cole's right there. And Rasmus is like, what is this guy doing here? Those were the, uh, the funniest moments when those two guys kind of took it and made it their own. Were you involved in the remake, uh, if you will, <laughs> or the uh, creation this summer around 716 Day, where Cole was <laughs> wandering yeah. around the arena by himself, missing Jeff? Because again, like out of the blue, months removed from the last episode, th that to me couldn't have gone any better. It was hilarious when mm -hmm. he's digging through the recycle bin for smart water <laughs> to splash on his face. I was, yeah. We, we just took around the arena and had him look sad and uh we had jeff this is another example of jeff like we had him we texted him a script to read mm -hmm. for the voiceover at the end of that video which is on sabers.com if anyone hasn't seen it and um he sent us two versions back one with edits he made and one as we sent it so it's just another example of him like being really um great to work with and like taking ownership of, of of it 
while also still having an incredible season on the ice, which is, which is yeah. pretty cool. Well, producer Jeff just remind, reminded us of absolutely incredible one. When he says to Samuelson, why do you have a goal song? <laughs> yeah. And the way he roasted Darlene too, just about, mm-hmm. you know, the number one status and all that. And, you know, could he have had better coaching growing up? Like it, it was just, well, it was so good. What it speaks to is like, a lot of the things we've got to do, like from a content perspective, mm-hmm. um, are only possible because of the the chemistry like that exists in the locker room. And Kevin Adams talks about culture all the time, and you know it's rooted in his experience with with Carolina and the culture they had when when they were winning. And you to be able to tease your teammates on camera like that and know it'll be okay, and also have that trust with each other, I think says a lot about the culture. Uh, we we took uh, Jack Quinn and JJ Paterka, uh shopping for Christmas gifts to give to all their teammates. We filmed that, and that gift distribution became almost like a little team event on its own. And you just saw how the guys like they just really genuinely get along, and it, it's special to watch a group of like young players do that. You can see where it's headed. Well, so we hear that and obviously discuss that all the time. Jordan LaBarber from Sabres.com is with us here on the Friday edition of Sabres Live. Marty's back on Monday. Shana Goldman still to come later on in the show. And there's news around the NHL. Crazy contract signed by the Washington Capitals. Uh, and that's just part of it. Penguins, Flyers, Bruins all uh, in the news. So that's all Eastern Conference related. We'll dive in with Shana as the list of restricted free agents is dwindling. But today, Jordan, Sabres uh, are the focus of 32 and 32 on NHL.com. And you know, our, our colleague Heather Engel wrote uh, most of the stories in, in involved in that, presenting what's to come here for this uh, 23-24 campaign. Um, before we get into and and all these articles that are done on a team by team basis at NHL.com present, you know, kind of three burning questions. And we'll, we'll get into that in a, in a bit, just wide view of the Sabres right now. Like what is on your mind as you think about this group, um, which even though it was only a point or two, depending on your math um, is still a long ways from attaining its goal, you know, as we sit here in the summer. Yeah. I, I'm honestly, anticipation eagerness excited I, I i'm just so excited to see how they can build on the end of last year and there was a lot of points where the team i think in the public sphere was out of the race there were a lot of as, as early as that eight game losing streak um which i which did cost them in the long run and it happened again it happened late in the year we're like well they're out of the race and they never were until the last until that new jersey loss uh, officially eliminated them so i think you saw resilience and i think you can look all around the roster and see okay the improvement can come from there the improvement can come from there and i'm really excited to see where it does come from and if they can make that step so when it came down to the actual questions uh, that were asked on NHL.com, um, the ones that were posed were first with goaltending. And the question was, can the inexperience in goal handle, handle the load? How would you answer that question? I would say uh, Devin Levi, I would say it, it takes a unique, it will take a unique goaltender to do something that most young goaltenders don't do. And I would say Devin Levi is a unique person. Whether he plays 20 games, 40 games, 55 games, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But 
if someone's positioned to do it, I, I do think he has a, a, just such a unique way of thinking. And I, we all saw what he did on the ice. I can speak a little bit off the ice. Um, he painted that mask uh, towards the end of the year. A lot of people remember that. And it, it was a unique thing. It shows his creativity and whatnot. But on the mask, he wrote, they told me I can't. So I did it. And so that's kind of like a microcosm of the way he sees the world. But it's also the trainers literally told him not to do that. <laughs> and he did it because they told him he wouldn't be able to. And it was a goofy idea. So I think it's just um, mm. I'm really excited to see where his career goes based on the little bit of time I got to spend around the team since he since he joined them. Mm-hmm. And that would be my answer to that question. And and Ukul Paikalukin had good stretches last year. He did. Yes, so he did. It's I not agree. like he has no experience. No, and I, you know, uh, but again, here we sit, and it's the first week of August, and it's um, it's unclear as to who the tandem will be, uh, how the spots will be earned, uh, as far as, you know, who gets the most playing time in preseason and who actually outright wins a job, whether it's uh, somehow wrestling it away from Levi to start opening night, which seems unlikely, but anything is possible. But more importantly, you know, two goalies, three goalies, what happens to the third one uh, that is not, you know, um, you know, in a great spot um, because nobody wants to be that third guy when opening night rolls around. Another question on NHL.com, the second of three was how will the players handle raised expectations your thoughts i can tell you how they're trying to handle it and I, you you can point to kyle opozo's kyle sets the tone for that for that locker room mm-hmm. and when he resigned he made no secret of his his approach which is that we are not going to hide from pressure like this is we have the goal to he mentioned the Stanley Cup like he didn't say we have to go to make the playoffs he said we exist to try to win a Stanley Cup and we're not going to hide from that so I think they're going to go into the year with that mindset with the tone coming from from Kyle Pozo and there's there's peaks and valleys they're not going to have a great 82 game run can you avoid that eight game streak can you make the valleys um can you minimize the valleys? That's I think that's the question. It's the biggest one. It's it's um the sad reality is that whole eight game losing streak, if it had just been 0-4 and four, they would have been fine. You, mm-hmm. you, you you can't go eight games without picking up a single point. That's just, you know, it's the it was it was unique though in 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 the in the culmination of factors that contributed to that streak. There were there were injuries at that yeah. time. There were close losses. Most of those losses were close games. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't um, – I almost think it, 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 it would be tough to have that happen again. And I think you, you've, you've, you've added depth, which would prevent something like that, I think. And hopefully the experience uh, from the end of the year would prevent something like that. Well, that leads into, uh, you know, the third of the three questions posed on NHL.com's Sabres profile today, and that is – how will they settle competition at the defense position? How do you mm-hmm. see it unfolding? I would say there is a lot of respect for the two defensemen who have joined the team this offseason, Connor Clifton and Eric Johnson. And uh, Don Granado spoke about Eric Johnson at the end of development camp 
and he referenced how he might make the penalty kill better. I think he even went so far as to say Matias Samuelson can become an elite penalty killer with a presence of someone like Eric Johnson alongside him. Mm-hmm. Um, he mentioned how he's already been envisioning, okay, if Eric Johnson's playing next to Rasmus Dahlin, how will that look? If he's playing next to Owen Power, how will that look? So my takeaway from all of this is that um, Eric Johnson's not joining the team to be a peripheral guy, but rather a, a guy who will really contribute. And I think we already expected that out of Connor Clifton. Um, and you know you have Samuelson, Dalene, and uh, Power locked in. Mm-hmm. I would imagine Henry Yokoharu would be the other mm-hmm. based on the minutes he's played consistently for the last few seasons. He's generally a 20-minute-plus guy. Mm-hmm. And then you have depth. We're, we're operating right now out of the assumption that you have six healthy defensemen. And that typically isn't the case. So you have Ilya Labushkin as depth. You can keep going from there. You got Riley Stillman, Jacob Bryson, and we'll see. But those would be the six, I would imagine, based on those comments from Don Granado and, and based on Henry Yokiharyu's playing time history. There are plenty of comments from Kevin Adams uh, within that 32 for 32 profile on the Sabres today at NHL.com. You can check it out. And they also had fantasy projections. And and that, you know, uh, sidebar to that for me is that one of the biggest disappointments in them missing the playoffs last year was they had so many players have career years. And normally mm-hmm. that results in a playoff yeah. spot. Um, so it didn't, and that's a challenge, but because we talked goaltending, it was interesting to see within their fantasy projections, there was a question about goaltending and they had a projection of 30 wins for Devin Levi. So I will boldly sit here and tell you this, if Devin Levi wins 30 games, they're making the playoffs. So, um, okay. So now because Mm NHL.com had their three quote unquote burning questions, what other questions do you have? We're going to do this like newly with newly what is it newlywed game you know mm-hmm. like where you had to match your answer with your spouse not to make you feel uncomfortable as my spouse here for the no, next but we've yeah been wet a long time <laughs> yeah, that's yeah just think of who was cropped out of the picture on our road <laughs> trip uh that i posted anyway uh let's get to the questions what is your first big question for this team beyond what we've already talked about uh, well you just talked about career seasons i think it's a good segue i'm looking at who's taking a leap we we have a lot of measurable statistical leaps having been taken the last couple years Tage Thompson Dylan Cousins Rasmus Dahlin the obvious ones uh Jack Quinn was a great candidate for that he's going to miss a lot of the year now so who who's going to take those steps and that could come in different forms it could be one of those guys I just mentioned Mm -hmm. Rasmus Dahlin was on pace for 90 plus points a lot of the year that would not surprise me if he actually attains that, if he's a little healthier. Casey Middlestat, I think, it, it, based on the way his season ended, is a candidate. Or is it a young guy like Yuri Kulik coming up and being a contributor? So where are those leaps going to uh, come from is, is one question for me. Okay, word for word, I didn't find an exact answer, but you danced around so many names, uh, you obviously hit <laughs> on a couple. Uh, I wouldn't say direct match, but who knows. Um, on to the next one. What's your second big question? What does the balance between offense and defense look like this year? Wow. And Don Granado, pretty much from the beginning, said it's harder to learn offense with a young team. And he said that is the priority. And 
he said that all along and they finished third in scoring last year. Yeah. And I think towards the end of the year, you saw those close games against the close playoff game against Florida. That, you know, so they were playing for playoff position, the close games against the Rangers. I think players spoke to those games as examples of what they learned towards the latter half of that year about how to play those tight games that they'll need to play. And so what do, what do, what does the scoring numbers look like in relation to the goals against? A lot of high-powered offenses finished behind them in scoring last year. Tampa, Toronto, the Rangers, the Avalanche. Is there a little bit of dip in scoring? And is, does that compensate with, with the lack of goals against, I think, yeah. is, would be a goal for the team. Okay, not an exact match again on mine, but I'll show you my answers coming up. What is the last of your three? So this is a question the Sabres are thinking about, but it's a question that's fun for us is, as people who love the game is who's vulnerable? If the Sabres are making the playoffs, who's vulnerable for them to leapfrog? And I, the reason I think it's interesting is because you had the maybe the best regular season team of all time last year, the Boston Bruins, and they might be the team I look at. So going back to 2000. 10 11 the year they won the cup and even a few seasons prior boston is the best team by a good distance over los angeles in goals against they've been the best defensive team in the nhl that's been their identity how much of that identity is stems from having one of the best defensive forwards in the history of the game factor in david Krejci. we don't know what he's going what he's going to do expected retirement based on most recent reports so it, it it will be interesting to see how much of that identity that the Bruins have had for over a decade stemmed from one player. They still have one of the best players on the planet, David Pasternak. They still have a deep defense core and a great defenseman in Charlie McAvoy. I but but dude, would you pick them over Tampa when you're looking at vulnerability? I, I would say they're more vulnerable than Tampa or Toronto, certainly. Mm-hmm. And um I think that's an interesting question. There's you got the Islanders, you got the Panthers who are dealing with injuries. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see. Those are great questions. And I'm actually surprised based on, but you know what? You you said we actually talk a lot in the office and we do. <laughs> so I guess the reason we do is because we all have so many questions. So we're constantly in conversation. Yeah. Like my my first one was this. Let's see if I can iterate. Can you see that? I knew. Can they become a top 15 team on the penalty kill? And if so, how? I had a yeah. feeling you'd mention the penalty kill. Yeah. So did you know that and, um, in, in the 12-year drought, they've had eight of those years where they've been under 80%. In fact, last year was yeah. the lowest PK percentage recorded in the 45 years of the 52 Sabre seasons that are in the books. They didn't keep special teams stats in the early 70s, but... <laughs> Unfortunately, last year's 73% was the worst one that we've seen. And now part of that, it's not all an indictment on the Sabres because obviously scoring is up and a lot of teams' power plays are up. So therefore, (laughs) conversely, a lot of teams are struggling on the PK. But to me, the biggest change with this group is if they become a top 15 PK, that changes everything for them. Because I'm not expecting a drop offensively. Yeah, and I, we spoke about it before, but I think that the Sabres targeted the penalty kill with the additions of Connor yes. Clifton. I think he was one of the best players last year in power play goals against per 60 and Eric Johnson. Okay, one more here. Can you read this one? 
who will earn the opportunity to play with Dylan Cousins in the absence of Jack Quinn? Yes. Who do you think? Oh, man. Because then you're getting into who's playing center and who's not. Um, I might you, – you'd love to say Yuri Kulik comes up and he's – he, but he is young and that might be a lot to count on. Yeah. You could kind of have a new version of kids line. Mm-hmm. This Casey Middlestat moved to the wing. Oh, I don't think I don't so. Know. But that so leads us to question three. <laughs> Will Casey Middlestat produce another career year? He, he he was dealing with injuries for so long going into last year that it makes sense that it took him half a season to get going. Um, but I think it, it's going to be interesting to see where he falls in the lineup. Like, uh, I wouldn't. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Well, seeing him with Skinner and or Tuck, and and if he is, can they create recreate that magic they had? Career years for Thompson, Skinner, Tuck, Darlene, Cousins. This is outside of first-year players, obviously, and Casey Middlestat. And among the group, nobody more than doubled their previous high other than Casey Middlestat. Mm. It is overlooked, not talked about enough, and recognizing where he is at age-wise and contractually within this group and all the intangibles that get spoken about him by the coaching staff and his peers, it's an enormous year, I think, Mm. for Casey Middlestat. Because if he duplicates or even improves upon last year, I think he establishes himself then as a core player moving forward. I absolutely agree. And, and he also he has an opportunity to take the Sabres where they want to go, I think. Because I think if you ha- add another player mm-hmm. like in that caliber offensively, then that could be a huge difference. Great stuff. Thank you, as always. And uh, I, I, it's fair to say that you filled in the shoes admirably for Marty on this uh, day. Wow. Very proud. Thank you, Duffer. <laughs> Enjoy the weekend. We'll see you soon. There is Jordan LaBarber from Sabres.com. We have the great Shana Goldman from The Athletic coming up next here on Sabres Live. We're back with more of Sabres Live. Presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Winding down the first week of August here on Sabres Live with our Friday staple, Shana Goldman. Marty is returning on Monday, Shana, and I suspect that even by then, he'll want to talk about the news we're talking about today, and that is Tom (laughs) Wilson's mega deal with the Capitals. Clearly, uh, even though it was established commercially a long time ago that Backstrom and Ovechkin are a duo, it would appear like Wilson is somehow very much part of this equation, too. It's, it's, what a choice, you know, like I understand signing players a year early, right? But that's kind of a trend that we've been seeing this off season. And we're talking about a lot when it's the Austin Matthews and the William Nylanders of the world. That's who you plan ahead for. If you're signing a supplemental player like Tom Wilson, 
ideally, if you're doing it early, it's because you're getting some sort of discount. There's no discount on this contract. There's no discount on the term. And maybe the capitals are looking at it like, hey, we're not going to be good in seven years. So it really doesn't matter. But to, and, you know, obviously there's going to be cap growth between now and then, but to hamstring yourself for a player who is not that good, like he's a good rough winger right he's coming off a bad year and you can't judge it because he had the torn acl and everything like that and i totally understand that but the fact of the matter is the stolly plays typically doesn't age well he's really not a play driver in his own right and never will be and i think everyone just gets kind of blinded by the extracurriculars of his game which yes Mm. can be effective if he maintains his discipline that's a big if but come on seven years (laughs) that money it's overpriced before it even starts Seven years, 45 and a half million. So when you break that down, it's so hard to say. Like I just, he's coming off of a, you know, he was coming off of a six-year $31 million deal. He's 29. When's his birthday? Uh, So he's, yeah. So he'll be playing his age 29 season coming up. But now, you know, the Capitals are going to be staring at a cap hit of six and a half. So he gets the raise, he gets more term. And I had to laugh. One of the articles I was like, you know, the length of the deal brings the AAV down. And I'm like, no, it didn't. No, it <laughs> like, did not. It's, it's, it's still too high. And I don't dislike Tom Wilson, the player. In fact, I, I, I like him a lot for what he is. But like, what would have been the proper extension to give him at this point in time, in your opinion? If they said, we want Ovechkin to go for it during his era, we're going to do whatever to maximize the team around him. And we know that we can clear cap in other ways. Like say they got rid of Kuznetsov tomorrow and they had all this extra cap space in the world. If they went, we're going to go three years at 6 million. I would still say it's rich because I think he's worth maybe three or four a year. Mm -hmm. Honestly, um, I could understand that. Or if they went the Islanders route of let's hand out these long-term extensions, but maybe go for like that 3 million a year on average. While I still think that could be an overpayment, it's one that I think you can bury very easily. So it's just everything about it is is it's so perplexing (laughs) i feel like general managers when they try to like leverage situations and we see them sign these contracts earlier trade for contract rights so they can avoid you know that open market crowd raising the price they raise the price themselves and i just don't understand it what was the trade-off i don't see one and i i know the pursuit based on health obviously for ovechkin presumably this chase is going to continue for the better part of two and maybe three more seasons. So that's exciting. But the reality is we all view the Capitals a little differently now as far as their Stanley Cup window. So what often happens in those windows and when the window is closing is you have to start removing pieces so you can build for the next wave. Like to me, this contract is untradeable. Yeah, like, no, it's it's bad. So Maybe in year one or two, right? Because I think if, if Tom Wilson was on the market tomorrow without the contract so many general managers are diving at him 100%. and I completely understand that. But like to think of what the capitals just did, I feel like they mastered the retool on the fly that we hear all these teams talk about and completely bomb. They nailed it at the deadline. I think, and were able to quickly throw together some good pieces this off season to move forward and with the new coach and everything. Mm-hmm. And then they do this like way to end on a sour note. It's so strange, and 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 Backstrom's future uh, is still so cloudy based on the the hip surgery that he had, and the hope obviously is that John Carlson is fully healthy after that horrific injury last year. But you mentioned the the most intriguing name right now, one that has been out there for months and months and months and months, and it's the future of Kuznetsov. Clearly, the market is not bearing fruit 
from trade partners right now, or this deal would have been done a long time ago, right? Right. You know, you have a player who was really struggling offensively, and that's the highlight of his game. Defensively, there are a ton of flaws, but a lot of the times for a top six center, you can outweigh that with really strong offense, or you can say, it's okay, he plays with someone like Ovechkin who doesn't play defense, and that's totally fine. Of course, they're going to drag it down together. You can make excuses for it, but even after a strong offensive year relative to years past, teams still aren't interested. There's the on-ice aspect of it, knowing what his ceiling is versus you know, the cost of acquisition, the cost of the contract, and then you have to weigh the off-ice element of it too, and there's been some you know, like shady business there that would obviously scare teams away, so... That's a player for me. I think the Capitals should be in on every center that's been on the market. Like in Elias Lindholm, I think they should be lining up for because I don't think that their top six center depth is strong enough across from Dylan Strom. But the fact that they can't get rid of Kuznetsov is going to stop any chance of doing literally anything because they don't have the money unless they shed that contract. So who's going to get Lindholm? And do you expect him to be dealt before opening night? I actually don't. I feel like the Flames might hold on to him. And if this was Brad Tree living, I think it would be a different situation because like he couldn't bear doing that again. And rightfully so after the Johnny Gaudreau thing, I don't think anyone would judge him. But, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like Backlund now, it kind of feels like a little bit more of a backpedal. Like maybe he would think about staying there that I wonder if he's going to hope that Lindholm has that same change of heart to fully. It felt like a done deal. And that's fine. Right. Like they could they could obviously use him, but he wasn't perfect in Calgary anyway. Sure. Yeah. Lindholm, it feels like they view as the player to build around when I wouldn't value him that highly. But I do think that there are some teams that could really use the help down the middle. You know, the Minnesota Wild, you'd have to go through some cap gymnastics, probably have to get rid of someone like Marcus Foligno, but they could sure use him and have him opposite Joel Erickson-Eck, split that workload, have a high-end center to round out your center, uh, top six center depth. And, you know, you have a lot of contracts expiring next year. Like maybe that could work. The Canes could make sense. You know, the Canes are, should be in on everybody. They have the assets. They have the money. Why not? Um, Toronto could even make sense if they want Tavares at the wing, but that one, <laughs> look with the money too. Like there's some good options, but it's hard to see who looks better than Boston. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't Boston the obvious based on, obviously, the retirement of Bergeron and the expected imminent retirement of Krejci? Yeah, like, that's a team that they have that forward flexibility everyone should strive for, right? Because you have Zaka, who could slide back to, you know, center. You have Charlie Coyle, who you can move up. Trent Frederick, they might have to move over to 3C if they need. It works for them that you have this positional flexibility that not everyone has. It, it helps when you have injuries, which it did when Bergeron was hurt at the end of the year. It hurts when you have players leaving after their contracts are up. But if you do that, it does feel like a huge weakening of their top nine because you still need players to replace that winger slot now. Or maybe, you know, someone like Zaka, he was much better on the wing in Boston than he was at center. As much Mm -hmm. as he prefers to play at center, which he said in New Jersey, like it makes sense to go for at least one more center so you don't have to, you know, shuffle two over. And the problem is they don't have many prospects that are, you know, super tantalizing that they can jump up in the lineup and play because they either have drafted poorly, developed poorly, or traded away their picks and prospects. And here's where it starts to bite you. Mm -hmm. These are all, of course, Eastern Conference teams we're talking about seemingly on this day as it ties in with everything Sabres related here on Sabres Live. Shana Goldman from The Athletic is with us. Marty is back on Monday And the Penguins may well have a different look by the time Marty returns. Agree or disagree? They could. You never know. And I think this is a fun element to a very oddly slow building offseason, right? Like, we're all kind of waiting for the next shoe to drop, especially when, like, free agency wasn't as exciting as maybe we could all hope. Um, It's the Eric Carlson shoe. 
He wants to be traded. He wants to go to a contender. And he absolutely should. This is the time to trade him. His value is never going to be higher than it was after, I don't know, a Norris caliber and potentially, you know, Ted Lindsay candidate caliber season. Mm-hmm. He had a healthy offseason. And look what he did in the regular season. If he continues that, let's see what he can do next year on a good team when he has some support. So Pittsburgh is super intriguing there because, you know, they all want to go for it one more time. You have this core could it hurt them down the line? Sure. But like Pittsburgh is focusing on the, you know, the right now a lot because why, why not with Malkin and Latang and Crosby, it's a really interesting situation. And Eric Carlson certainly would take them up a notch. Well, it's interesting, but it's now compounded for Pittsburgh a little bit with Gensel having ankle surgery and he's going to be out for the start of the season. He'll go on LTIR if he reevaluate in 12 weeks. Of course, he's been the overlooked uh, consistent goal scoring you know, uh, especially when they've been in the playoffs. He's just been so good over the last half dozen years. But Gensel aside, the Penguins, like a few other teams, are in one of their buyout windows again because you're able to enter into one of these once the arbitration cases are done. And that doesn't necessarily mean it had to go through the process. It's just once you've settled with players who were going the arbitration route. So the Penguins are one of these teams that are in a window, which has, you know, encouraged more conversation about, okay, what do they do with Granlund? Because he's been talked about as a buyout candidate for a long time. And if they're going to bring in Carlson, even at a discount from what he's actually being paid in San Jose, like they've got to do something here. And that Granlund seems like a logical first or next step. No. Absolutely. And this is why if you're if you're ownership too, you have to be proactive. It's not just general managers. It's like when the Oilers decided to fire Peter Shirelli right after he signed that Miko Koskinen contract. Like you couldn't have done that a few hours earlier. You would have saved yourself so much trouble. And instead, Pittsburgh was like, let's ride it out with Ron Hextall, even though we know he's gone at the end of the year. And they let him trade for a player, you know, to be a 3C, which they could have used. Jeff Carter was struggling, absolutely, but he doesn't even play center anymore. Like yeah. none of this makes sense. And you're tying yourself to someone whose contract extends through the life of Sidney Crosby's. You don't know if he's going to be back after that contract. So you have to maximize those years and dumping cap space into a player that doesn't do what you need him to do and who has been clearly on the, the decline is just a giant question mark. So he feels like the perfect buyout candidate for Pittsburgh. Absolutely. And now that I guess their front office is settled for the year. And there are no more questions. Docker. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, look, I, I everyone wants to dunk on Kyle Davis and I, I get it. But I, I mean, I think he probably looked at the candidates and then was like, maybe we should just see what I can do. Let me cook for a little. Yeah. Let me cook I, and then we'll figure it out. I'll get some supporting cast later. So are the Penguins back in the playoffs for sure if they get Carlson and marry that with their other acquisitions this offseason? of Graves and Riley Smith. Yes. If they get Eric Carlson, if not, then no, I put them in the bubble because I still look at their goaltending and I have a ton of question marks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they were like a good fringe team. They almost made the playoffs this year. If it wasn't for losing to, you know, some of the worst teams in the league, they would have been there. It mm-hmm. does feel like there's going to be a veteran team to fall out. Could it be the Islanders? You know, could the Capitals stay out another year? Pittsburgh, I feel like has a very slight edge on them. If, they get Carlson for sure because I think they have one of the best coaches in the league and with a healthier season you know from most of their players and even you know with the Jake Gensel injury in mind like I'm not worried there you could put nobody next to Sidney Crosby and he'll be you know a a household name in a couple weeks Mm -hmm. it's still true but uh, definitely Gensel I think has been underrated for you know the better part of his time 
with Pittsburgh. The Flyers are in the news this week, and, and it's a positive story for two of their players, and that is possibly full health for Sean Couture and Cam Atkinson. And I get it. They're a little higher in age than when they were at their most effective in their careers. But I dare say most teams across the league would welcome back two players with the experience and ability of these two. They won't be getting Ryan Ellis though. It looks like it's career ending back injury for him. Um, I, I say this often about Columbus, Shana. I think they're going to be better than people give them credit for. And now with these two names back in the mix for Philadelphia, I feel like I'm going to say the same thing about Philly. And I'm not projecting playoffs. I'm just saying they're not going to be as bad, which then chips away at the pie that everybody's trying to get into here. No, I agree with you on that. Like the Flyers this past year too, they were like that surprising team in the beginning of the year. And a lot of it was goaltending. And you knew it wasn't going to last because the defense was so bad in front of the net. And then the two started trending in the opposite direction. Yeah. I think that they had a strong off season because they, first of all, cleared the locker room of bad vibes. I think that is going to go a long way. And I know a lot of people want to say, well, John Tortorella is still there. I still think he brings something to the table. And I think that he could be the right coach for this team. But Cam Atkinson is just a disruptive forward with good finishing touch. I'm a big fan of his game. You can play him in all situations, anywhere in your lineup, and know that you have someone reliable to provide a, you know, a spark. And Sean Couturier, I am such a fan of his game. Like, I know he's coming off, you know, the injury, and you never know how a player's going to return from that. But you're talking about a Selkie caliber center at his peak. He's mm -hmm. not that far removed from it. I think with more support, we could see him do a little bit more. But when you have someone like Noah Cates, who was in the Selkie conversation, if you rate by best defensive forward, period, and don't go for the offensive side, he was right there for it because he was so strong in his minutes, so strong in his role, and could take on top competition. If he can take some of the workload off of Couturier so he can ease back in a little bit, I think that we're going to see, you know, Couturier be in a position to bounce back more than maybe we could have expected. Agree. Cates is notable. Uh, Farabee needs a bounce back. Konechny had a career year. Tippett almost scored 30. No one talks about Owen Tippett, but again, the more you put proper pieces around, this becomes the norm. And you're going to be going like, oh, how did Owen Tippett have three straight seasons of about 30 goals? You know, like these are real possibilities and people have to be mindful of the talent that's there for sure. Um, quickly, Trevor Zegras. He's the highlight of the remaining Restricted free agents, without question. Um, what do you think he gets now that the Troy Terry deal is done? I think he should get less than Troy Terry because I think Troy Terry is a better player than him right now and a better contributor. I think Zegers is probably going to get you know a long-term deal and I get going in cheaper now instead of seeing what happens in two years. Um, I wonder if he also gets seven years, but I would be curious if maybe they can get the AV a little bit lower because... He doesn't have that proven track record of Troy Terry, who has been able to do a lot with nothing. You know, he's a great goal scorer and he's very good. You know, he's a good passer too, below the surface as well. I think that he is your best all around forward on Anaheim and everybody should, you know, fall in line after him. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. My inclination, though, is that he'll end up higher than Terry, but uh, that, that'll be, hopefully, <laughs> it's a discussion. Well, wouldn't it be something if we had an offer sheet to discuss by the time we roll around on next Friday's show? But uh, we'll we'll wait. For that and uh, and wish you a great weekend and thank you so much we'll see you soon see you shana goldman from the athletic will uh, wind down as we often do with birthdays on sabers live after this we're back with more of sabers live presented by seneca resorts and casinos nothing else comes close it was just like 
man, like, what's going on? I remember sitting in the locker room being like, are these guys just better than us? Like, do they just own us? Like, what's, what is going on? It was the craziest feeling. And, and Weiser had an incredibly powerful speech at the end of that. Um, where you know you got emotional and, and it and it you could you could feel it run through everyone, mm. um, and I think that that was a big part and a, and a big kind of you know statement for us as a group. Josh Byrne on the Dane and Josh show, which is out on uh, Bandit social media, and this particular episode not only features them hosting as champions of the national lacrosse league but they're joined by the goat john Tavares, their head coach and uh the game's greatest all-time point producer so check that out and of course we do the birthdays and i felt terrible yesterday somehow overlooking the great chase fraser of the bandits yes indeed when you think of the bandits we think of uh dane and josh obviously because they're at the top of their you know their field as far as point totals and goals and all the rest of it. But what makes this Bandits team so special is the game-breaking ability of players like Daoka Nanakoke and Chase Fraser, who score spectacular goals, and then the consistent scoring threat of Kluche. So congrats uh, again to the Bandits. We're two months out from their championship win and a belated happy birthday to number 95. Chase Fraser. Well, as you know, um, we often gravitate to those that inspire us, those that, uh, you know, that have always been good people, like a lot of the bandits that we're talking about. And it's hard not to celebrate Stanley Cup winners when one was a homegrown, you know, a, a draftee of the Buffalo Sabres back in 2009, third rounder and Braden McNabb, and now a Stanley Cup champion with the Vegas Golden Knights. Social media alive and well this week with Braden's day with the Cup in Davidson, Saskatchewan, which is a really, really, really small place, and all he's done is obviously earn everything he's gotten in his career. One Bills Live is up next, folks. Enjoy the weekend. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.